0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: And welcome back in. We'll continue our conversation with uh, retired wildlife consultants and biologist Paul Jakobsack, Dave Rave, and also Captain Eric Grew of Calcasieu Charter Service about ducks in crisis. Uh, I think everyone agrees, certainly, that the numbers are down. And this is a continuing and worsening trend. There's a lot of reasons for it. Uh, We'll get back to maybe some of the solutions about altering the season. Uh, Maybe a lot of people feel the season is much too long and the liberal bag limits are much too generous. Uh, But before we do that, I want to get you guys to talk more about the altered migration. Uh, There are a lot of telemetry studies now that are starting to reflect that the birds are not traveling south like they did. Uh, I had the heads of both the Ducks Unlimited and Delta Waterfowl on this program uh, and as, when asked about migration problems uh, coming farther south, uh, they stuck with, uh, winters. We don't get the winters. It's not cold. And they pretty much gave, I would say, 80 to 90 percent of the blame on weather. However, a lot of people, particularly this text message board, people are saying that the, there's some planning and agricultural practices going on north of the, in the flyway that are altering the migration. And I will read this excerpt from a place called Cache River Farms. It says, having groceries in your spot dramatically improves its ability to attract and hold waterfowl. This is proven time and time again. Corn is a popular crop, and with it, out of doubt, attracts waterfowl. We also like its vertical structure. It helps ducks feel safe. They can swim into it, not feel so exposed to avian predators, and provides excellent thermal cover. Corn also attracts invertebrates that ducks need in their diet as it breaks down in the water. Corn is expensive labor-intensive to plant since you have to apply nitrogen and spray for weeds. On average, corn needs 120 days to mature so it's ready before hunting season. Corn plays a valuable role in a duck's diet, and just like the video shows, birds love it. This is one place. There's also habitat flats and many other places that have discovered the value of holding and attracting ducks, and they're using legal means to levy areas, plant corn, flood it, And basically, from the videos I've seen, it becomes just a a paradise for a lot of the species, particularly mallards. Um, You know, so this is a time and I don't know how much this contributes to the lack of birds coming down south. Again, the problem is we don't have the birds that we're used to, and the ones that are there, a lot of people are arguing that they stay up there. Uh, I've got one text in that says that if you know, on an average year, historically, 6 million birds would be coming down the flyway. If there's 11 locations that are 60-mile squares, each of those holding a half a million ducks, then that means they would keep 5.5 million ducks just on those locations. They brag about it. About how much food they have and how long they can hold them. So that being said, gentlemen, we're going to take a break when we come back. I want to get each of your opinion on uh, the the flooding of corn, these agricultural practices up north, how much do you think that contributed, contributes to the problem of not seeing waterfowl here in Louisiana? I can't remember the last time I've seen a mallard. As I started off this show with McFadden Duffy's article, Louisiana used to be a mallard paradise in the fall, no longer. We'll be back to continue this conversation right after this timeout. You're listening to The Outdoors with Don Dubuque. All right, continue our conversation about ducks in crisis. Gentlemen, uh, I'm getting so many texts in, and and we've discussed several uh, factors that contribute to the worsening of winter populations and the migration. But the one that I think most people point to, and I don't know whether this is because a jealousy thing of saying they're stealing our ducks, they're holding our ducks, they're planting corn on refuges, they're not coming down here south, they got enough food. How much does this contribute to an altered migration, and is it a real factor? Is it real, or does this, as many people say, ah, oh, it doesn't really have any impact because it's a small number? Paul, let me start with you. What is your your, your feelings about you know the, the changes in the law that occurred that allows people to bring water to corn, but not corn to water?
2: Well, I think it is a factor. I don't think it's the major factor. Uh, what you have to think about is it costs a lot of money to plant corn and flood it and not harvest it for a profit. So it's only a, a, a limited amount of area that this is actually taking place in. Although it is very effective, as you mentioned, uh, if, the, if the duck population was was at a high point, which it isn't, uh, it probably wouldn't be as noticeable, but with the low populations like it is, it really does affect mallards. Mallards are grain eaters, and and the other ducks like uh, gadwall and whatnot are adapting to eat grain, and uh, it, it is a factor. And I, I don't think it's 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 the major factor that most people think it is, but but it, it is a factor. And what percentage it is, I don't know, but I'll let some of the other uh, hosts, uh, I mean uh, participants respond.
1: Yeah Dave uh, w- what are your thoughts on, on, on this as far as the percentage of, of what this causes, how much does it contribute and how much do you think it, it, it is climate if in fact it is. I mean everybody understands that waterfowl uh, movement is certainly a uh, factor by, by weather changes and frontal systems and that such but you know it doesn't affect the teal. We see the teal come down. I guess that's photoperiodism moving those birds down. We have great teal seasons but yet Nobody sees mallards anymore and some of the other big ducks here. So how much do you think is, 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 is weather-related and how much of it is some of this altered uh, habitat up north in the flyway?
3: Well, uh, I think most of it is altered habitat, but altered habitat on the prairie pothole region causing a decline in, in total duck numbers. Um, we talk about flooded corn, and flooded corn would, would definitely slow down the mallard migration. You know, there's the uh, if you think of Canada geese and snow geese, they've all been benefited by agriculture on the on the landscape in the fall, providing a lot of food. However, there's as Paul mentioned, there's things like shovelers, gadwalls, widgeon, blue-winged teal, green-winged teal. Very few of those. You know, they they just don't go to to agricultural fields that much. They're much more marsh birds. And if you look at Louisiana, the number of all those birds is down, down, down. And so. I just don't think that um, that uh, the, the flooded corn is the total solution. It, it's part of it. There's a lot of different things. Um, I personally, and my personal belief is that flooding corn that's uh, unharvested is just legalized baiting, and so I personally would like to get see those those regulations changed. Uh, as far as weather, yeah, weather is a is a, is a part of it. Um, but if you look at, uh, at Louisiana right now, most of the mid part of the country is frozen. I was in St. Louis three weeks ago, and uh, the, the wetlands there were frozen, and uh, yet Louisiana still doesn't have any ducks. So I don't think that uh, weather is, is the problem. I don't think that corn is the problem. Uh, I think that uh, habitats in the prairie pothole region and the lack of, of uh, ducks and, and good breeding is the problem.
1: Well, you know, the the weather is questionable. Uh, you know, I use robins as a gauge when they arrived in the numbers, and we had a lot of robins this year. And I've been hunting woodcock since the 1970s, and this was maybe the best year I've ever had finding woodcock. And it may be that, the fact that they had a real good breeding uh, nesting season last year, but the fact that, you know, it requires really extreme coal generally to drive woodcock down here. And they showed up, but yet, the ducks don't, so a lot Correct. of things are missing. Uh, Captain Eric, tell us what you think about these. Uh, you're in the business. What about these places? Are they over-advertising uh, the number of birds that they keep up there with their, their flooded corn, or is it accurate?
4: Well, I, I believe that the uh, that question comes up in the duck blind all the time. You know, the, the where are the birds? The birds are over there. They're always over there. Somebody's pointing. They're in Oklahoma. They're in Missouri. They're wherever, wherever. But I've got a pretty good network of folks that I speak with, and and I believe that some of those things are overblown where the ducks are. Now, obviously, the middle states up north for the past 10 years have had, you know, especially with social media, social media just puts so much out there that, uh, you know, the The advertising commercial aspect of hunting and and everybody wants to do the bragging board thing you know th- about where all the ducks are and that has been the belief and i and I do believe that if you reduce the overall populations of birds, you add some bait in their migration path and some you know some more areas for those birds to sit, which we all know that these refuges and properties to the north over the over the last twenty thirty years have increased the habitat. You know, they, they're obviously stopping some birds. And I, I think that with the overall numbers going down and them stopping birds, it, it just leaves less for us to see down here. Now, Louisiana is just as guilty. You know, we have a uh, second crop rice that we get to tromp around in. In the, in the teal seasons and early parts of the year that's always been a big thing but then our rice production's down you know i mean there's so many factors but the bottom line is when you're sitting in a duck blind in louisiana you're not seeing near as many ducks they have disappeared from the sky and regardless of all of these factors uh whether it's you know storm damage wetlands or rice production or crawfish or corn or uh you know, global warming or pond counts on the prairie, all of those things, from a management perspective, we have less ducks, and I don't care what they do in Arkansas or Missouri or whatever, how are we going to manage them here so that Louisiana hunters get to enjoy their time in the field and see some birds in the air? That's my big beef.
1: All right. When we come back after this break, we're going to start talking about what can we do. What can if we do nothing? I think we're going to get the same result. The trends are going to continue to see less and less birds. What can we do as hunters, as concerned waterfowl hunters? What can our state and federal agencies do, and what can our major waterfowl conservation organizations do to reverse this trend? We'll be right back after this. We're talking about ducks in crisis. This is the Outdoors with Don Dubuque, Radio Network. All right, we've been talking with some uh, waterfowl experts about the situation with ducks in crisis. And, guys, I think it's time to start talking about some possible solutions. Uh, We've got federal and state governmental agencies responsible for the management of waterfowl. Uh, we have non-profit waterfowl conservation organizations that take in a huge amount of money. They get volunteers. What can they do? And really, on an individual basis, Eric, you talk about that guy sitting in a duck blind, and he's not worried about He just wants to know where the ducks are. But there's a price to be paid to get waterfowl. Paul, let's start with you. What what can we do to, to reverse this trend? We can't do nothing, because if we do nothing, we'll have nothing.
2: With, with Don, I uh... I agree with you. Something needs to be done, and and it's a little late, I'm afraid. But uh, you have to realize this matrix that we were discussing earlier was developed 25 years ago. Things have definitely changed in the last 25 years for some of the reasons we discussed with the farming practices and whatnot. And I I think that, uh, first of all, the the May survey needs to be flown. They need to see what the actual duck town is now and that they need to make some serious adjustments to the situation. Uh, as far as the uh, non-govern- non-government organizations, they need to take a leadership role in conservation. Uh, they, they've they done nothing in the worst drought in 30 years. They did not lobby. As far as I know, they have not lobbied the federal agencies and the uh, and, and flyway councils to reduce the lemon and to conserve ducks. So individual people need to put pressure on, on uh, on government leaders and, and these organizations to uh, reverse some of these negative trends in waterfowl populations.
1: Dave, what, what can you suggest as far as remedies for these, the situation we have with the duck population?
3: Well, you know, I, I did want to mention one other thing. Uh, earlier we talked about the ducks and, and not seeing ducks in Louisiana, but uh, I've hunted in North Dakota and Minnesota since 1990. And there's far, far fewer ducks here than they are, you know, than we, I used to see in the 1990s. And so, you know, corn and, and weather and whatnot doesn't play much effect up here. It, it's duck numbers. So a couple of things that I would say uh, that I would, would like to see is, first, we need another government uh, grass program uh, and a very, very well-funded one, such as the CRP program. You know, putting grass on the landscape is really important. And it would really be good to have a, a government program like that in Canada. The other thing I'd like to see is I'd like to see the uh, May survey examined. There's a lot of uh, problems I think with the assumptions in the May survey. Uh, for example, in the May survey, all lone drakes are are considered pairs, uh, and and since we now have far far more drakes uh, than we used to, so the percentage of drakes in the in the population is far higher. Uh, that ends up inflating in my opinion, the number of pairs. So I think that uh, between a grass program and a, and a re-examination of the May survey so that uh, perhaps we uh, change our, our regulations, have a little bit more of a, uh, of, a of a more conservative uh, regulations like Paul said.
1: Uh, Captain Erica, we've enjoyed these six uh, duck sixty day seasons for a long time now. Uh, There's some suggestions to reduce that. Maybe we need to go to three birds per day in a 30 day season. Are we too spoiled here in Louisiana? Do we need, in other states, do we need to change our attitudes that the limit is not the norm and you're going for the hunting experience and maybe going less times but having more productive hunts, you'd be able to sell that, or would this be an economic crash to the business of, of, of charter hunting for, for duck hunting uh, operators when you only have 30 days to, to get out there and do it? What are your thoughts on going to that three-bird three limit for 30 days?
4: Well, obviously it's not in my uh, advantage to, to go down on a season or anything like that, as you point out. But I think that we just really don't have a choice. I think that the, always the hardest part is to ask for less. And I think that, you know, the good times, the good old days, as people would say, If in, in my generation, that is basically the late 90s. We've had a big decline since then. It really hasn't been addressed by the waterfowl managers because it's an adaptive harvest. They've taken a new look at how they're doing things. And I think the, the burden really rests on... On uh, you know the management. I mean, these guys we can't control as hunters. You know how many ducks or the pond counts or all those things, but the duck managers have to be the ones in charge to to make the rules that says this is you know you're going to get your money's worth when you go out there for those sixty days. You're going to see some ducks and have an opportunity. Right now, there's a lot of places you just don't have an opportunity in Louisiana to shoot birds, and and it's really not a good thing. I think that uh, you know. We've seen that through banding information, whatever, that these birds do imprint. They come here, and I think that as we've reduced our populations here in Louisiana, which is obvious from the surveys over the past five years, you probably have the, the, the lowest number of birds multiple times in those surveys uh, over the past five years. But nothing's being done. The current waterfowl management in Louisiana, is they've already set it for next year, 6 and 60. That's what the outlook is. So, they've got it on cruise control. Somebody's got to shake it up, and uh, and just you know, we've got to make some changes, and we have to ask for less. That's just the only way, you know. If you're not if you're not getting them, not seeing them, why are you still wanting to take as many? People have to be more conservation-minded in this, and I know that's difficult when you have such a financial uh, a burden to, to be able to hunt. Sure. Yes.
1: Exactly. Well, I'm hoping that uh, these huge organizations, Ducks and and Delta Waterfowl, are listening to this, and hopefully they will listen to their members because I know a lot of people uh, have gotten away from them because they don't feel that they're truly representing the needs of, of the waterfowl hunters. Guys, we're, we're out of time. Thank you so much for this. It's been very informational. Hope we. Uh, shed some light with some of the listeners and the hunters i've gotten a ton of text messages here and uh, a lot of people making some very good points and what i'd like to do is reserve the right to call you three guys back maybe next year and we'll see if there's been any changes and and get the latest update on progressing to to try to reverse this trend of negative uh waterfowl hunting here in louisiana and many other states thank
2: you very much don thank you don
1: all right we enjoyed it don we did, I did too. Thank you so much. Alright, we come back after this. We're gonna switch gears a little bit and get back to some of your fishing reports. And, uh, also kinda, of, if you got any text message you wanna send in, we'll be happy to share them with our audience. Right here, 504-260-1870. This is The Outdoors with Don Dubuque Radio Network. All right. Hope you enjoyed our little conversation with our experts, uh, retired biologists, uh, Paul Jakubczak and Dave Rave and also Captain Eric Grew. And uh, hopefully we put out some good information. If you didn't catch it all and you want to listen to the replay, all of these programs, by the way, are available on the following Monday after they air. You can go to odyssey, dot com and catch the replay. All right, we're going to pause 10 seconds really quickly here, and we'll be back with Captain Mike Gallo after we let our local stations tell you who they are and where they are along the outdoors with Don Dubuque, Radio Network. And let's bring in Captain Mike Gallo, get a little bit of a fishing report. And, uh, Mike, this uh, unseasonably warm weather we had during the week uh, this earlier during the week, uh, had it produced any changes in the fishing for you guys?
5: Don, it has. Uh, I made several trips during midweek. The marina had live baits. We were able to catch quite a few speckled trout, lots of sheephead, and a few redfish. So it has been uh, a change from what we're accustomed to in February with normally dreary weather.
1: So what are your plans uh, for the next couple of days uh, going into Mardi Gras? You got a Mardi Gras crew headed out, crew of uh, Crew of Born on the Bayou maybe? <laughs>
5: well, as you can tell, my voice is a little hoarse. Went to a Mardi Gras ball with my wife and finding out I'm not as young as I used to be. I do not have any plans to do any Mardi Gras day fishing, but um, but I would certainly suggest that anybody that gets the chance to go, go do so. Um, we caught fish in deep passes with current, shell bottom live bait. That worked out fine. We also caught our fish uh, along the edges of Lake Bourne with a popping cork and plastic. talks a beautiful trout. Nothing giant, but we did have fish up to 16 inches Um so it's been a surprise for midweek, but um, a very welcome surprise. So the, uh, it looks good. It looks good going into the spring if things continue to warm up. Um, I think we'll have a good spring.
1: What about uh, everybody's always wanting to know about the bridges? Uh, we have not had a high river. It doesn't look like we're going to get a spillway opening this year. Give us a little bit of a break. What do you expect to see in Train this year?
5: I think we'll have a good spring um this year as long as the spillway does not get opened and the reason i believe we will have a good spring is we had such a mild winter and those fish consistently stayed scattered normally when we have some cold in the winter say october november time frame those fish will bunch up in cold weather and we really can catch quite a few of them in those areas but when it's warm and they stay scattered we have to move consistently to catch up with them, but a lot of them get past us. So in the spring, when those fish start gathering up and starts feeding, our, our days get longer, and they prepare to spawn. They'll hit those bridges and feed, and um, I think we'll have a really good spring. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Calling for some pretty light winds on the inside today and also a good tide range 1.2. Somebody that's heading out of any of those marinas there in the Slidell, North Shore, South Shore area, uh, what would you suggest their plan be to catch a few fish?
5: We caught fish in several of the deep passes in the area, Unknown Pass, Lake Catherine Pass, Blind Rigolese Pass, Overshell Reefs. You know, stick and move. Fish down on the bottom with live bait. Give it 15 minutes or so. If you don't catch anything, move. We caught shops We had several trips with 20 or so sheephead, and we had several trips with 30 or more speckled trout. So there's, there's fish out there. It's just a matter of, of finding. Those fish did move around. We made six trips midweek. Um, we ran three boats a day. Uh, for a couple of days and we just had to move but every boat was successful and the live bait was certainly key
1: yeah fishing uh hasn't been great but it's certainly been what i would consider a good february better than most mike thanks for the report take care of that voice and we'll catch up with you again next week
5: thank you don i'll talk to you next week
1: yes sir and you can get mike at uh the, uh, his website, and also on my website, DonTheOutdoorsGuy.com. He is AAofLA.com. By the way, his report is brought to you by Cito. and if you pay $179, that gets you a whole year membership. And during that time, if you need fuel dropped off, 24-7 tow-ins, electrical jump starts, whatever it takes to get you back safe, Cito is there for you. It's peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Call one time, and you'll be signed up with Captain Chris at 301-4545. That's area code 504. Or if you'd like to get it online, just click com. Coming back after this, it's time for our plastic man. Find out what his Mardi Gras plans are right after this time out on the Outdoors with Don Dubuque Radio Network. Oh, coming up in a couple of weeks at Gunning for a Cure, it's March 12th, going to be taking place out there at Stella Events and, Events and Adventures on Highway 39 in Braithwaite, Louisiana. And one of the Bayou Wild team members joins us now, Ryan Lambert. Ryan, I pulled out the plaque we got last year, and it says, 2021 Gunning for a Cure Hunter Class third-place team. How are we going to get that to first place this year? <laughs>
6: hit two more targets <laughs>
1: <laughs> training maybe exercise uh calisthenics uh no drinking yeah, we, we no only late missed, night well he missed first place <laughs> well he missed first place by two hits yeah i know you, you oh. know it,
6: it was so close that yeah i didn't know that i've been more serious
1: <laughs> <laughs> well it serious or not it's a lot of fun and uh look forward to seeing you out there in a couple of weeks and we got a a couple of other guns. Chris Lecock, our cameraman, he's putting the camera down. He's grabbing a shotgun. He's going to shoot. And of course, Josh Raley, you know, he's kind of our ringer that we bring along. So hopefully we can uh, we can finish as good, if not better, than we did last year. It's a lot of fun. I think it's a great cause.
6: Yeah, it is. It, I, that's the first time I went there. I had a ball. You know, I haven't shot sporting clays. I don't shoot dead stuff, I shoot live stuff. So but it, it was fun. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. Then yeah, that's a girl, short one
1: yeah they're gonna be out there too, and it's just be a lot of fun and It's just a short trip across the river for you,
6: oh yeah, it's right there, so uh it's kind of a day not fit for man or beast today, huh?
1: yeah uh, well, you know wind blowing. Yeah, yeah, wind's blowing down there along the coast inshore. it's not quite so bad. it's gonna be sloppy for those folks trying to get to those wahoo that have been biting out there. What you guys got going on. Huh.
6: Uh, we got a few boats out. Big Roger's getting married today. We'll wish him the best. And uh, a lot of the, a lot of my boys went to that wedding. So, uh, I have the rest of them out on the water right now, fighting this wind. But, uh, yesterday was like that. That front came through and they all caught fish. They caught bull reds. They caught reds. They Sheepheads sheep heads. The sheep heads have been crazy. I mean, <laughs> they catch so many sheepheads, They won't even keep them all. I mean, there's, there's just a lot of sheep heads around and, and a lot of bull reds. Um, Keeper reds, uh, or you know, you get through them and catch them, but there's, there's more bull reds than keeper reds lately. This is so, so weird. Weird year. Everything's weird. The the purple martins are not here yet. They should've been here two weeks ago, three weeks ago. The black belly Squealers are showing up before the full moon. There's not a robin anywhere in sight anywhere. I mean, it is a
1: strange, strange year. Hmm. Let me ask you, I wanted to ask you about duck identification because, you you know, you go down to Mexico and you get a lot of those whistlers. I I have a a, a pretty good flock of wood ducks that's kind of taken up habitat in my pond. And yesterday I was looking through binoculars, so I didn't get a really close-up look at it, but there was a very unusual bird that was large. It had the pink beak like a whistling duck. Yeah. Uh, and at first I thought it might have been some kind of a crossbreed, Muscovy mallet or something. It had a lot of white on the back of its wings and, and on the back of its head. And I said, that's got to be a domestic duck flew in here. And then all of a sudden it flew up into a tree about 40 feet high, and domestic ducks don't do that. So I'm thinking it was some kind of a, uh, a Mexican or the, whistler but, or a tree duck.
6: Or the black That's a black-bellied squealer. And they're brown, and they they have that white on their wings, and they have a pink beak. And uh, I keep I'll have a hundred or so at my house every day because I feed them. You know, when they next full moon they'll really come in thick. We have uh, Carmen raised up a a a brood of them two years ago. They come back first every year. Those eight birds come back, so they showed up day before yesterday, made her day, and uh, the next full moon we'll have a hundred out there every day. So that's a black-bellied whistling duck.
1: Hmm, because we have the other one. Yeah,
6: they've
1: got another one that's uh, kind of brownish looking, kind of a model brown looking color, and I've seen those out in the marsh when you hunt. They're out there during the teal season, but this is one I'd never seen before, and it was a pretty good-sized bird.
6: Yeah, they they good-sized birds, but they have that pink, big. The only thing I know other than that is, is a, a rosy, you know, from Argentina, and that's got a black beak, uh, black body, not not brown.
1: Yeah, well, this one was it's pretty got dark. Got
6: that rosy beak, too.
1: And it had a lot of white on it, which was unusual, you know.
6: Well, yeah, those those have some white on them, too, the the black belly squirrels It might be, you know, kind of a mix, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's
1: time for all that to,
6: to start happening. But the the robin thing is really weird because they, they're up in Missouri. They never came down. And, and that oh. just tells us a lot about what's going on with the ducks as well, you know. And things are changing.
1: Yeah, well, the Robins covered me up this year. I saw a lot of Robins. Maybe they didn't make it down really? as far as – you know, you guys are like a different state down there. You're more like a Florida uh, climate than, than a coastal Louisiana climate. You know, you get very no, few even freezes in down there. You know, the golf
6: course ought to be covered with Robins right now. There's not a one, not a one. I mean, and, and, again, the Purple Martins, they should have came at least by Valentine's Day. They should have been in the houses. I hadn't seen them as yet either. But, you know, the the fish ought to start coming on the beds any time now. You know, the bass will start bedding up. It warmed up a little bit this week, and the trout bit a little bit down here. Uh, that's you know, the first trout that we caught in a little while. Of course, they've been fishing reds because it's easy. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I, you know, i just been throwing feathers every day. But you can't deal with these clouds. So I'm going to take off and go to the Keys a couple of days. I want to go catch a peacock bass while I'm down there. And get that one off my list, and then uh, I'll go back and catch a hogfish in Tampa next time. That's the one I got on my list too. So I'll Hog start fishes, filling my little list with.
1: That's the one's got kind of a high uh, fin, big long fin on the back, right?
6: That that's got that big funny beak on the front of it. But it's yeah. the best eating fish I've ever eaten. Hmm. It is incredible. White white snow white meat, and just man, it's nice. Got a texture come almost like lobster. Man, I tell you, shame on them when I get on them.
1: <laughs> bring a bunch of them back when you
6: come. Go. <laughs> I'm going
1: to Florida. You can get five. <laughs> yeah, you but go. There'll, be, there'll be
6: four or five of us. So I'll, I'll bring you something. You, you'll like that. We got to get right. together and do something. Anyhow, we need to go make a bird hunt before before it's over. We need to go shoot some, some birds somewhere before April's over.
1: Yeah, we'll do that. And then also we got to do some fly fishing. And I want to come down and catch some of them big river catfish too, man. We haven't done that in a
6: long time. Oh, I've been wanting to do that right now. Actually, I'm, I'm fixing my boat up, a uh, little boat to go put some lines out because they they'd be there right now. we got channel cats. That's another thing. The boys have been catching blues and channels. There's bass there. I mean, it's the river's coming up to 11-4 here towards in about two weeks so it's really coming up and then it's going to drop out a little bit so but it doesn't matter the the, the big catfish are there so if you want to do that we can do that
3: all
1: right sounds like a nice playground
6: it is like Disneyland for guys and now a lot of girls enjoyed it too
1: <laughs> enjoy your trips and uh, we'll catch up with you when you get back all right my friend we'll see you soon happy Mardi Gras there he goes, the plastic man, Ryan Lambert. Coming back next, we got a paddler's report for you. We're going to squeeze him in, Captain Eric Mohabarak, next on the Outdoors with Don Dubuque Radio Network. And it's time for our paddler's report, brought to you by Massey's, with locations in New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and Covington. Captain Eric Mohabarak is a member, and he's also our reporter. Eric, uh, tell us all about Massey's, their photo tournament, and also Paddle Palooza. What's all that going on for kayakers yeah, yeah. getting busy?
7: Yeah, good morning, Don. Uh, yeah, it was re- it, they, they got all kinds of stuff going on over there at Massey's. Of course, they got a full supply of kayaks. Uh, I actually just bought a new pair of Hoka Bondi shoes. Um, they starting their, their catch photo release tournament, which you have to be in part of the member of the club over there. It kicks off on March 10th. Um, and and uh, if you need any information on that, you can call Val. Over at the North Shore store, the number is 985-809-7544. Just look Google it. It will pop up Massey's North Shore. She'll be glad to help anybody out with any information on how to get into that. You know, um, other than that, time, man, you know, people have been real quiet lately with that tournament coming up. Um, you know, Paddlepalooza, I think that's March uh, 12th coming up. Uh, is the date on that? And that's a, a slam tournament, of course. Of course. But um, I've been finding some good fish around the Triumph area, which is north of south south of uh, Joshua's and north of uh, of uh, Yellow Cotton. Yellow Cotton is actually a shortest distance to travel if you're in a kayak. And uh, they've been having some good trout caught there. You know, some 20 inches, some tournament fish, 23 inches. You know, which is good fish in Louisiana. They're coming up on the flats. You know, when the water warms up a little bit, when we're having these little cold spells. Today, it's going to be a little rough to get there with the wind blowing. But, uh, you know, your redfish, you can still find them around the holes. Those are also coming up on the flats. Oyster reefs. Look for your oyster reefs. Uh, catching some sheep head down that way. Uh, just all around pretty good fishing, you know, with this warm weather and stuff. has been, been kind of happening, too.
1: Yeah, I think that paddle palooza is yeah. going to get a lot of nice stringers brought in there. And if you want information on that bckf Uh Next time you come on, we're going to have to talk about the boats on the bayou at the City Park Big yeah. Bass Rodeo. they got a really good kayak division on March 26th. But in the meantime, if somebody wants to book you, tell them how to get you. You're on my website and also your website. Give them yours.
7: Yeah. Um, you can find me on Facebook, the Louisiana Kayak Company, or you can find me on Instagram, uh, the Louisiana Kayak Company, or just pick up the phone, 504 313
1: All right, Captain uh, Eric, thank you for the report, and uh, happy Mardi Gras, my friend.
7: All right, right, Don, happy Mardi Gras. Y'all be safe out there now.
1: Yes, sir. All right, that's going to wrap it up. We'll be back again next week, 5 to 7 a.m. By the way, if you're going to be in Slidell on Monday evening doing Happy Hour for Lundegraf, 4 to 6 p.m., come see me and Bayou Wild co-host Captain Martha Spencer at Southside Cafe. Have a great meal and have a lot of fun and talk some fishing and hunting. We'll see you next week with the Outdoors with Don Dubuque, Radio Network.